Welcome everyone to Mosaic. Uh, if you're here for the first time, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. I just want to welcome you into our worship and into our community. Uh, before we get into today's word, just want to give a quick announcement um, to the congregation. If you were at a congregational meeting a couple of weeks ago, you know, we talked about um, our denomination. And uh, we had a great congregational meeting, a lot of great lively engagement. Um, but the, the elders, uh, we've decided uh, together that uh, because of our discussion, we're going to take a little bit extra time before we vote on the matter. So we are going to have our November 14th uh, meeting together as a congregation, and it's going to be a very, very important meeting together. So I encourage you to stay on the 14th and talk with us about that. We're going to discuss together. Um, but we heard some concerns during the congregational meeting, and it was really, really good for the elders to listen to the congregation. And so we're going to take a step back, and we're going to listen to the congregation a little bit more, and we're going to take some time together before we make any decisions uh, together. And so we won't be voting on the 14th, but actually we have some more important things also added to the agenda that day. So we invite you to come join us on November 14th for our next congregational meeting. And so I just want to make sure that you all know we will not be voting, but we will be having a very important meeting that day. With that said, we're going to read from Genesis 2 together. Genesis 2, verse 8, 9, 15. And then I want to read you one line of Psalm together. And so here's Genesis 2, the word of God from verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And then Psalm 84.10 says this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere... I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we're in our Salt and Light series. We're talking about how we can live in our world in a way that is a blessing to uh, the environments and cultures that are around us. And today, I want to talk to you about your work, your job. Uh, we're going to talk about that today. There is no activity that we do as human beings, um, especially in America, uh, that is a bigger part of our lives than our work. Uh, there's only one activity that comes close to the amount of hours we spend at work, and it's sleep. The average American uh, spends about seven hours sleeping a day, and we spend eight hours working a day. And so the, the activity that is the most prominent thing that we do um, as a species is work. And so if we don't understand how our faith integrates into our work, how we are salt and light, it's not really going to work, right? Because it's what we do the most. We need to be able to understand how our work functions. In fact, a couple of days ago, I was talking to Mia, and she said, um, Appa, I've been doing such good jobs at school. And I thought she meant she was doing a good job at school. And I said, oh, that's great, Mia. And she said, no, I've been getting good jobs at school. So far, I've been a door holder, and I've been the lunch leader, and I've been the weather girl. Um, I've gotten such good jobs, right? They have these little jobs and chores that they do around the classroom. And she said, oh, I've been really lucky. But she said, but there's one job that I really want and uh, that all the kids really want. Can you guys guess what it is? 
Line leader. Yeah, line leader is the top spot, you know, in any first grade kindergarten classroom, the line leader. And so she's waiting on that job when her turn comes around. Um, But actually, uh, she's gotten pretty much like the good jobs, and she's probably got more bad jobs coming up than good jobs um, on her list. And it's funny to me that she even differentiates between what's a good job and bad job. And so I had to talk to her about how to do a good job even when you get a bad job and how you could be present um, in this. And so I had to help her to kind of see her job differently. And today, brothers and sisters, that's what I want to do with you. Some of you may be door holders and some of you may have lunch crate weather girl jobs or you may be a line leader in here somewhere. But some of you may really not like your job. You may really dislike your job. In fact, I've found that with a lot of people that I talk to in our area, working is such a big part of who we are in the Northeast. But a lot of us, we have such broken relationships with our job. It's something that crushes our spirit, and we really don't know what to do with our work. And so I want to talk to you today a little bit from the scriptures about work. Um, Because unless we understand how to look at our jobs in a way that is biblical, will never actually be salt and light. No matter how much you try in your Christian life, you spend most of your time at work. And so if you aren't able to understand it, then it will be very, very difficult. And so today, um, I want to start the first part of a two-part series about work, because there's so much to say about work, I want to split it up. Today, I want to talk about how to see your work, and then next time, I want to talk about how you do your work. Okay, how you see your work and then how you do your work. Today is just all about understanding our work. And unfortunately, I won't be here next week. I'm going on vacation. I'm leaving my work uh, so that I could go on vacation. Uh, But when I get back, we'll talk about that together. But today we're going to talk about how you see your work because unless you start there, you're not actually going to be able to do it well. And there are two parts of this that I want to talk to you about. One is we have to see our work as God's work. We have to see that our work is actually God-ordained work. Secondly, we have to see our work as worship. If we can understand those two things, then we'll actually be able to see our work properly. And then, over the course of time, you will start to be salt and light in where God has placed you. So let's pray together and pray over this very difficult topic, work in our lives. Father, as I preach about this, I just feel like an emotional, spiritual barrier sometimes over our work because I know how difficult it is for some of my brothers and sisters. And I just resonate with them and I just, you know, my heart breaks for those who have such a difficult time with their work. But I pray that today that you will make a way for their work to become yours. Help us to see our work. And at the end of this, may it be an offering unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we need to see um, about work is that we have to see that it's God's work. Uh, Maybe it'll be helpful to define what work is uh, just to begin with, because I know that not all of us have salary jobs here in this uh, sanctuary, and yet I want to say that we all are entrusted with work. All of us are entrusted with work from the Lord. It's interesting when you try to figure out um, how work is even defined, Um, in history, when you look at uh, the, the Greek philosophers, they looked at work very differently. The way that they worked, looked at work was there was a kind of work that paid the bills that you had to do in order to pay uh, you know, the things that you needed to pay for your life, and that kind of labor that they thought was not good work. 
So when you ask the question, what is real work and what is good work, right? Line leader type of work. What's good and what's kind of not good work? The Greek philosopher said, the work that you need to do to get a paycheck, not good. Not good. That is the kind of work you have to do. What the Greek philosophers wanted, their dream was, you, you want to get to a point where you don't have to do that work, but you get to work freely, what they call the liberal arts, right? Liberation, liberal arts, things like... Uh, Philosophy and literature and art and music. You want to do liberal arts. You don't want to do illiberal arts. Um, so they have the separation, and that, that's what they defined as good work. And that's why some of you were liberal arts majors. Have you ever wondered why they call it liberal arts? It comes from the Greek philosophers who said, this is the kind of work we really want to do. This is the good stuff. Interestingly, today in contemporary culture, it flipped. What we say is real work is paid work. We consider our jobs, salary jobs, to be real work. And then if you are at home or if you're working out of your home, you know, there's something about that that makes you feel like that's not real work, even, even though it's just as difficult, just as important. But it's not kind of considered real work. You see, we need an anchor to help us even to understand what work is before we can even start, start the conversation. And where you get that anchor is in Scripture, in the Bible, And what you see in Genesis 2 is that God creates the world and he puts the man into the world and the work that he gives to the man is a continuation of God's work. The work that he gives him is a continuation of his work. It says that he put the man in the garden to work it and keep it. That's the work that was given. It has nothing to do with freedom. It has nothing to do with money or no money. It has to do with you continuing the work of God in this world to work and keep, or in other words, to create and maintain this world. And so you could be um, managing your money or managing somebody else's money. You could be not getting paid for it or be getting paid for it. it. It's all work. You could be cleaning your house or you could be going out to clean somebody else's house. The second one you get paid for, the first one you don't. And yet both is work to God. It's the good work of creating and maintaining his creation. That's what God has called work. And it has nothing to do um, with whether someone hired you to do it or not. And that's really important for us to situate the conversation because in order for us to see that it's God's work, we have to see that it's something that he gave to us. You see, when you open up the Bible, you find it and you're introduced to a God who works, which is strange Right? You open up the Bible and all of a sudden God is working. He's creating for six days. He's laboring to create creation. But then he rests on the seventh day and then he hands over the work to us. He says, now you, given the image of God on your heart, now my son, my daughter, you work. You work because work is given from me to you. Work is something that is God's. And it's something that we inherit in the image of God. Work is something that we need fundamentally in our spiritual DNA to be like God. I just want that to kind of resonate and ring out because a lot of us, our life goal is to not work. But we need to look at the Bible and let that ring out into our soul. Work is given by God. Good work to do in this world. We need to receive that together. And yet, I know that many of us have this broken relationship with our work. Some of us, we hate our work. 
Some of us, we hate our coworkers. We hate our workplace. We have this really broken relationship with our work. And we have to address that. And one of the things that we need to receive, especially if you feel like you're in this place where you just, this work is just crushing your spirit. If you feel like you are there, you need the gospel, brothers and sisters. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is bigger than Jesus died to save your soul. In fact, that is the gospel, but when you take a step back, the gospel is bigger than that. It's not just about saving individual souls. What Jesus did on the cross and at his resurrection kicked off a movement in creation that was not going to only renew individual souls, but remake the whole world. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. That also includes your workplace. It includes your office, your company, the place where you work, As far as the curse is found, blessing goes out. The blink of an eye, it's going to be Christmas. And we're going to sing this song, the third stanza of this song that we all know, Joy to the World. Why is there joy to the world? Because the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ is now transforming the world. And now from the church out, we proclaim joy to the world. And in the third stanza, here's what it says. No more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Joy to the world because the gospel is changing everything, but in the third stanza, he talks about the thorns in the ground. And that makes us see and remember the curse that was given to Adam, the curse of work. Cursed is the ground because of you. And now there are thorns when we work, right? You all feel it. Every Monday, the thorns of your workplace. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that your, save is, uh, your soul is saved and that's it, but it's that the gospel is transforming all things and he's making blessings emanate into the world, yes, even into your workplace. Joy to the world. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow as far as the curse is found. You see, the gospel tells you that he is transforming your work, and one of the main ways he does that is he sends you into that place as an agent of light. Now, I know that many of you are saying, oh, Pastor Dave, you are so naive. You have no idea how bad it is at my workplace. You have no idea how dark it is. You don't know how much politics there is. You don't know how awful it is. These people that I work with, you would would cringe, right? We have a hard time believing this gospel, don't we? Maybe you believe the gospel as much as you think you can be saved, but the gospel of transforming this world and this workplace, hard. You think, ah, Pastor Dave, if you just knew, if you came to work with me, you would change your tone. My brothers and sisters, when you are called to be light, I want to tell you this. Please remember this. If you are salt and light, don't be shocked at the darkness. You know, he has made you salt and light of this world. But sometimes as light, we step into very dark places and we think, oh my gosh, must be a mistake. It's dark in here. It's very dark in here. He must call me to another place. He's not calling me to this place. It's too dark. And honestly, sometimes that's what we do with our work. We say, this is not, not even possible. 
And so we move on. But brothers and sisters, don't be surprised when God calls light into the darkness. Don't be surprised that it's dark. The book of Esther tells us this. The book of Esther is an interesting book in the Old Testament because it never even mentions God. Isn't that weird? A book of the Bible that doesn't have God's name in it. How can that be? Well, the reason is that the scenario in which Esther is taking place is that it's a super dark place. She is in the middle of the most secular culture in that area. She's in the throne room of King Ahasuerus of Persia. And she is taken, essentially kidnapped, to be brought into this place as a sexual fantasy for the king. It's that dark. And so you have stories of power and money, politics, awful treatment of women in the book of Esther, and no mention of God. Does that sound a little bit like your workplace? That was where Esther was. But if you can read the book of Esther with eyes of faith, you will see that the story of Esther is actually about God behind the scenes transforming that place to bring salvation, renewal, and redemption, even in Persia. You know, we have to think about the darkness of our workplace with eyes of faith instead of just going from one place of work to another place of work, just looking for better situations. And again, total freedom to go find a new job. God bless you as you look for new jobs. But what I'm saying is, every place you go, brothers and sisters, is going to be a place where there is sin and a need of redemption. Because every place that you work is a place that God is redeeming. Because work is not Satan's, but work is God's. And that's what he's called you to do. Now, as you go into these places, how can you be a light then? How can you see your workplace as a place with opportunity for good and redemption? We need to recover worship as we work. Let me read for you uh, Psalm 8410. Okay, we'll look at this in the second half of our sermon. Psalm 8410, it said this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Psalm 84 is a really beautiful psalm that was written by a group of people called the Sons of Korah. And if you remember the Old Testament, there were a specific family, a group of people called the Levites. And these Levites were called to be priests for the people of God. But inside the the Levites, there's actually one strand of people called the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah had two jobs as priests. They had the job of making music, writing songs, and the job of doorkeeping. You know what doorkeeping is, is they kept the, literally kept the door of the temple and of the tabernacle, and they opened the door and closed the door. They let people in, and they didn't let people in. That was their entire job. Not a really exciting job, is it? Doesn't that sound like a very small job? It is a very small job, but that's what their job was. But in Psalm 84, the people who were tasked with those two jobs, making songs and doorkeeping, made a song about doorkeeping. And here they say, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, you know what's surprising about that psalm and I find to be incredibly encouraging? is that that song was written by a doorkeeper. You see, it'd be different if somebody else wrote that psalm. Let's say an architect wrote that, or a a carpenter wrote that. 
You see, if, with somebody with a different job said that, essentially what they would be saying is, I want to be him. I want that job. Right? The grass is always greener, right? I can imagine somebody who's working in the world looks at somebody who works as a doorkeeper say, oh, at least he gets to be near the temple of God. Right? I would much rather do that than to work with these messed up people out here. But once you realize that the guy who wrote the psalm is a doorkeeper, it changes the heart of the psalm. He's saying, I love my job. I want to do this. But your job as a doorkeeper is not that great a job. But what happened? This son of Korah has found the secret to fulfillment and worship inside of his job. You see, in the psalm, there's this juxtaposition between the doorkeeper and the tents of the wicked. The tents of the wicked are these big grand tents that they would uh, scheme in. You ever see movies where they're in this giant tent and then there's this table with maps and they're scheming out how they're going to move the army. This is the kind of tent they're talking about, not a camping tent. The tents of the wicked. But these tents are where those in the world have success and they scheme and there's power, and there's influential discussions taking place, and then they laugh at their success. They laugh about their triumphs and their victories, and there's this laughter emanating from these tents because they're experiencing such comfort and success and great things. And can't you imagine a doorkeeper looking at the tents of the wicked and thinking, that must be nice. I'm just a doorkeeper, but they have influence and power and Success and money and, oh, that must be nice. I'm just a doorkeeper. But in Psalm 84, the sons of Korah do not live in envy because they have found the secret to worshiping and meeting God in their work so that they can even write, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to experience the laughter and the enjoyment and the success and the power of this world. I want to be me. How many of us, brothers and sisters, can say that? I want to be me. Not because my job is grand and big and wonderful, but because I have God in my job. I have met God in my job. You see, brothers and sisters, worship is what helps us to discover what God wants in our job. Because worship helps us to find the caller in our calling. Not all of you will be line leaders. But will you worship in your job? Will you glory in your calling because you are near to your caller? Or are you just waiting to be a line leader? My brothers and sisters, he has given you your calling, and we have to learn to worship where we work. I want to show you this clip from um, surprising, but it's from The Simpsons. Um, it's a cartoon that I watched growing up, and there's this great little scene. It's a three-minute clip, and I want to show it to you, and I'll give you a little bit of context. Um, if you guys know The Simpsons, you know The Simpsons have three kids, and this is before the birth of their last kid, Maggie. And Homer works at this nuclear power plant, and he hates his job. He hates his job. But he finally gets out of debt. And so he could leave his job, his family is financially stable, and he could go do whatever he wants. And he just goes and he runs to get his dream job, which is to work in a bowling alley. 
That's his dream job, and he's so happy. And there's this even scene before this when he's praying to God, and he's like, God, please don't change anything. And then Marge gets pregnant with number three, with Maggie, and he has to go back to the job that he hates. And so I want to show you that clip, and I'll talk to you a little bit about it. But here's a clip from The Simpsons. I bet you never thought you'd watch The Simpsons at church, <laughs> right? Um, but I, I really like that clip because I think it really hits at the heart of, one, how many of us feel about our jobs, and then, two, how to recover 
the meaning of our jobs. Um, you know, Homer, he, he um, really didn't want to be at that job, but it, that job became a different thing for him once he realized who he was doing it for. Now, the, the message here is not to just work for your kids, right? But where he says, where it says, do it for her, for the Christian, because for us, we know that our work is God's. For us, we have to, do it for the glory of God. And for us, we need constant reminders at work about the glory of God. And we need to have a heart of worship in the place where we work. In fact, that's where you need it the most. He had pictures of Maggie all over, and it, and it actually covered up the curse that was given to him. You're here forever. But actually, his, his understanding um, of work changed, and he changed his workplace. And for us, brothers and sisters, we need to do this in our work. We need to see the worship of God in the places where we work, and in that, we'll be able to see our work differently. One of the ways that we need to do that is we do need to prepare our hearts on the way to work. I know your mornings are crazy. Mine are too. But brothers and sisters, we need to prepare our hearts to work for the Lord. One of the things that I do very carefully is when I'm on my way driving to church, I'm very careful about what I listen to. You see, if I'm just, not, I'm, just not, I'm just listening to whatever as a distraction from traffic, my heart is not being prepared for the day's work. And yes, even ministry can be a little bit mundane and difficult at times. But that's my time to fill my heart. And so I'm either praising God, praying, or listening to something um, I listen to Elizabeth Elliot, and so if some of you guys know Elizabeth Elliot, she draws my heart to remember God and the simplicity of faith. You need to find a way to prepare your heart for work, or else you'll never be salt and light, or else you'll never worship at work. The second thing is practically you need to steal away moments to be with the Lord at work. Symbolically, your pictures inside of your workplace. You need to take time to steal away time to pray with the Lord. I don't know about you, but a morning quiet time, a morning devotional is not enough for me. By the time it gets 11 o'clock, I don't even remember what I did. You need to steal away moments with the Lord. You need to keep him in your workplace because that is what makes you distinct. He is your caller. You have a calling we have to look at our work differently, and unless we do that, we'll never be salt and light. But if we have a life of worship where we work, then he'll begin to change us and transform us. And as he does that, we'll begin to be the men and women, the salt and light that he's called us to be tomorrow morning. Let's pray. I want to encourage you to spend some time praying about tomorrow, praying about your work tomorrow, whether it's a paid job or an unpaid job, wherever the Lord has called you, I just want to ask you to engage in prayer so that it could be an offering of worship to him. And all the suffering that you're about to endure in the workplace, it needs to take on new meaning as you worship the Lord. It's God's work. 
He has called you to it. Let's spend some time praying and reflection together. Father, we want to come to you in deep confession and to say we've had a really hard time with what to do with our work. Our faith has been really far away from the places where we spend the most time in our lives. Father, and we also want to just say to you, we work in really dark places. We work in places where we don't even feel like you're there. We don't even feel like you're anywhere close. Maybe something like Esther. But Father, we know that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know with conviction that you are transforming this world and you are in the places where it's hardest to see you. And so Father, I pray that you would give us faith to be able to pray and to come to you and engage the one who's called us to these places. And Father, we pray that as we worship in our work and we see that work is good, I pray that you would begin to make us salt and light the places where we are. Lord, I pray that today for our congregation, please just change the way that we see our work. Next time, we'll pray about how we even do it, but I pray right now, just help us to see our work as something blessed and redemptive. I pray that as we go out, that you would be with us in our hearts so that we would have hearts of worship and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's all rise and respond to God with this song.